This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Norman Lau, and with me, as he is every episode, is Warp 5's newly promoted co-host and Trek FM's content manager, Will Nguyen. Hey, Will, how you doing? Good. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. You know, we have a pretty special episode this week, and uh, one of the reasons why is because I am proud to introduce a new guest to the network and to Warp 5. And just a little bit of a background here. He is a Trek FM patron through our Patreon monthly funding program. You've seen his posts and his support on the Babel Conference on Facebook. And he is also probably one of the most knowledgeable Star Trek fans that I've ever met. And an author and illustrator of his own book, The Protectorate, Jeffrey Harlan. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. We finally got you here. After all this, I've been trying to work and get our schedules meshing. We finally got you here in the conference room on the NX. So, you know what? I'm going to let you introduce yourself to all of our fans. I know that I've uh, talked a little bit about who you are and what you do, but um, give the fans and the folks at home a little bit of some Jeffrey knowledge. Drop a little bit of the mic on them. Oh, I've been uh, exposed to Star Trek about as long as I can remember. Uh, my parents were like into science fiction long before I was born. So I grew up with it and I've just been surrounded by Star Trek my entire life. So I know this back and forward, everything you can think of in and out. And I just remember it. Like I wish I could remember everything that I need to remember as well as I remember Star Trek. So we're going to get into that in a second. Um, One of the reasons why I have Jeffrey on is because and why this episode is so special is because we want to discuss something you that's important to us here at the network and what is important to a lot of the fans who are listening to the show. And that's because all of this, what we do here on the network, on Trek FM, on Warp 5, is because of you. It's because of the support that you give us, the people who make all of this happen, all of your passion, all of your loyalty, you, the fans are the most important force for us on the network because this network wouldn't be able to do what we need to do without you, without your support on a daily basis, 
helping us out, writing on the Babel Conference, sending in your emails, sending in your voicemails. And what we wanted to do for you on this show, on this supplemental, is give you the opportunity to understand how getting involved with a network works kind of from the ground up, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have Jeff here on the show is because as a newer patron to the Patreon program and someone who's been working with us behind the scenes on Trek FM on a support basis on the Babel Conference, we're going to be able to give you a little bit of a taste how that works. So in the first half of the show, we're going to discuss even further how you can support all of our efforts through your efforts by being involved a little bit deeper with the Patreon program for Trek FM. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk about something that's very timely. Actually, as a matter of fact, today is the 10th anniversary of the end of probably an era. And I'm not sure if I can like actually put that any lighter. Will, you actually took a little bit of a lead on this today on the Babel Conference and on your posts. Tell the fans out there why today is so monumental in Trek history. So today marks the 10-year anniversary of the final airing of Terra Prime and Demons, and these are the voyages, and it marked the end of an 18-year continuous run of Star Trek being on television, starting with Next Generation. And a lot of fans at the time felt that Enterprise was cut prematurely in season four. I think that is definitely an opinion that more and more people are sharing. And, you know, it's still 10 years and counting in terms of uh, not having Trek on TV. And I think it's a bittersweet memory in terms of just, you know, it's very much a reminder of time flies, right? I, I can't believe it's already been a decade, but I remember I was in college when when that um, final finale aired and there hasn't been new Star Trek on television. There's certainly been the new JJ movies, but on television, which I think is the medium which it thrives the best, it hasn't been on since uh, May 13, 2005. That's a long time. And when you really think about the compression of time, 10 years seems like a blink of an eye, but it's that 10 year of what happened to Star Trek in the interim. I mean, we actually, you know, we had the JJ movies and we've had a lot of the independent films develop and and really come in on their own. Uh, Like, you know, Star Trek continues and New Voyages and especially now Axanar those projects are starting to fill the void where CBS and Paramount have really kind of dropped the ball on providing the fans continuation of this really robust franchise. But we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. What I wanted to do first here uh, as we start into the show is talk about fandom. Now, the best part about crafting the content for this show is that Will and Jeff and I put our collective heads together and wanted to talk about how we have come together as fans before we were behind the mic trying to support a network that we fell in love with because it's important to us as fans to support the endeavors that help perpetuate the fandom. So Trek FM, we came to it differently. We came to it different stages of our fandom as we approached this network, as we approached different parts of our fandom, we all have different phases and we all get into different endeavors when it comes to supporting projects and programs like through Kickstarter and like through Patreon. But it all starts with when we became fans and how much that fandom has infected our lives 
to the point where it is just coming out of our pores. We talk about it constantly, whether or not people want to listen to us. We talk about it with our friends, our family members, our cats, our dogs, anyone who will listen to it because we can't stop talking about it. So, well, I'm, well my, cat, my cat talks back to me about it. But that's, that's a secret. That's a train secret. So, and it, a lot of Romulan ale on my part. So, <laughs> so how did you guys get involved with Star Trek? What were your first memories, and why do you think Star Trek has stuck with you so long to the point where you're going in cosplay to parties, you're spending your own hard-earned money and time to help perpetuate the fandom through all of these different types of projects like Kickstarter, like Axonar, and like Trek FM through Patreon? Um, well, like I said before, uh, I've practically been uh, exposed to Star Trek since conception. Um, my, uh, I was two years old. I went and I saw Star Trek motion picture in the theater and uh, went home, spent weeks, maybe even months, trying to do neck pinches on everybody afterward. Um, and I've, I've watched every version of Star Trek when it came out. I've seen all of it pretty much first run, except for few years of next generation when I was in Germany um, and I was a, I was on a military base over there as a kid but uh, even then I was having somebody back home was taping it and sending it to me so I've been uh, watching it my whole life practically and then I get older and I start making my own costumes and going to the conventions and going to costume contests I write fan fiction when I was a kid when I was in college I was uh, went from that. I started making a little encyclopedia for myself to keep track of everything that I was doing, which then expanded into a website, which now is called Trekopedia.com, and that is taking everything and putting it all together in one spot and trying to make sense out of all of it because there's some conflicts, but actually, for the most part, most stuff doesn't conflict, which is amazing to me. And I remember. I, I just, I just keep going from, from there. I remember when I first met you. Uh, you showed me a picture of your library before you moved from, like, one of your uh, apartments to another apartment. And I said, "How in the world are you going to move all those books?" It literally, folks, was the largest collection of Star Trek pocket books and reference books I have ever seen. How, how many books were in that collection? How many of those have you read? Uh, and. What do you do with all that information? I mean, does that is that all pretty instant recall for you? For the most part, yeah. Um, there's still a handful of novels that I haven't read yet. I'm still working on those. Um, that picture that I showed you, that was taken when I was stationed in Las Vegas back around 2004, 2005, I think. And I had was it three of those large six or seven foot tall bookshelves completely filled with uh, books and uh, reference and I like I said I've committed almost all that stuff to memory I have no idea how <laughs> so you're essentially a walking soon Android is what you're saying Jeff uh, pretty much um, I <laughs> I went to uh, the Vegas convention in one of the first years that they had it there and we had they had a, a, a jeopardy style trivia contest and I just kicked everyone's butt and the, the best part is one of the guys that i beat was dressed like q <laughs> oh really i wonder if i i am friends with uh 
with someone who is a Q cosplayer on Facebook. I wonder if it's that person, actually. We'll have to talk offline about that. But that was my next question, Jeff, was how many trivia contests have you won? I lost count. <laughs> wow. 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 I think we're going to have to step him up from uh, a Soong robot to our mist, our very own Mr. Ataz. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow! Wow, that's 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 very impressive, Jeff. And again, that's why I wanted to have you on the show because it's you can feel his passion pretty much jumping through the mic, folks. And I know that there are plenty of li- uh, fans and listeners out there that have that same kind of passion. And one of the things that I loved about Jeff's involvement with the Babel Conference is that he turned his passion into something that's accessible not only to all the fans there on Facebook, but accessible. Uh, for all the fans uh, involved with Patreon, and that's how he was able to get involved with helping us craft the show. So we're going to get to uh, that type of uh, description of Patreon a little bit later on. But Will, how did you get involved as a fan? When when did this all strike you and, and take hold? Uh, Trek FM. Oh, I think it's almost actually or just Star Trek, like Star, you know, just oh, Star, Star Trek, Trek in, in general. general. Yeah, as a fan, like when did the fandom really hit you, right. and, and when do you remember it? So I definitely was. Uh, the original series was before my time. So I grew up on Next Generation in syndication. I remember watching it as a child with uh, with my parents. And it was something I could catch every night around 7 or 8 p.m. And I didn't watch it all in order. I didn't fully understand what was going on, but I recognized the characters. I just love the fact that every every week I could just be in this spaceship with these awesome people doing awesome things. And when I was a kid, my parents wouldn't let me buy toys they just thought it was a waste of money so i remember as a kid specifically making and i wish i kept it actually i made like a paper it wasn't even a model like i was just cutting out pieces of paper that i kind of taped together to make it look like the enterprise d like i just colored it in taped it together kind of pushed it up and that was my makeshift enterprise that i played with as a kid and i remember just growing up on tng and just remember having fond feelings about that show but I would say my fandom really ignited when I was in junior high or high school and I was catching Deep Space Nine when uh, it was still in its first run, but still periodically dropping in, not in order, but every episode that I could catch. I remember just my fandom igniting watching that series. And then it kind of waned for a little bit, but uh, in college, I think I picked up uh, my fandom again after... After Star Wars and after the prequels were done, I kind of revisited a lot of Star Trek. I remember watching Enterprise, picking up Enterprise when it was actually in its last season. I started hearing that it's getting really good. So I remember watching the Soong arc, the Augment arc, without knowing anything else. I'm like, hey, that's Brent Spiner. That's Data. Why is he on this show, right? And so I think I've been able to piece together my my fandom in these chunks. But um, now I'm actually going through Voyager... Uh, for the first time in a comprehensive rewatch, I've seen episodes of Voyager, but never all of it in in one sitting. Um, I went through TOS, but it was through the TOS movies at first. I, I actually watched The Wrath of Khan for the first time in college, uh, believe it or not. Uh, in t- 2004 was the first time I ever watched it uh, in its entirety. And I think at this point, Voyager is kind of like the last piece of which I had to really put in there in terms of seeing everything. Wait, but, including um, the animated series? Oh, I guess the animated series, right. <laughs> I think I've seen some episodes. I've seen Yesteryear. 
Um, but no, you're right. The, the two scenes in the animated series I've not seen. So there are still a little more pieces. And that's the great thing about Star Trek is that on the one hand, it can be intimidating just because the sheer breadth of it. But at the same time, there literally is so much for you to kind of immerse yourself. There's a flavor. There's a there's an era. There's a, a style that appeals to almost everyone, right? So I think that's what made Star Trek much more durable for me as a fan. I was a huge Star Wars fan. I have a Star Wars tattoo, actually, in college. I was a huge Star Wars fan. But in reality, for me, Star Trek fandom has really surpassed that. And I feel like it's going to go the distance because there's such a breath to it. And, um, yeah, that's my story. No, I agree. I mean, when I was growing up, I saw Star Wars, you know, when I was around five years old. And that was the thing. I mean, it, it's so iconic that it just, it wraps itself around your brain. And it really, it really never lets go, you know, but by the time I was around seven ish, uh, I was watching the animated series. Uh, and my very first memory of Star Trek was probably most, my most painful memory because my dad was literally trying to pull peanut butter out of my hair when I was watching the animated series. And, you know, it was to no avail. He was using all different tips and tricks and oil and peanut butter. And he just eventually grabbed a pair of scissors. But it never it never took my attention away from Trek. That's how just into it I was. So when I was growing up... How did up, you get peanut butter in your hair in the first place is the is the real question, Norm. Did I say peanut butter? I meant gum. I meant gum in my hair. I got gum in my there hair. gum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who knows? You know, it was, it's, I was a kid and I was watching Star Trek. And I don't know, the house could have burned around me probably as long as I was watching my Star Trek. It didn't really even matter. You know, but that's, that's what um, fandom does to us. You know, I was watching Star Trek ever since I was young and most of the time by myself. And I, I hate to say this because it's so cliche, but it was I was in my parents' basement on the old TV. It was an old wooden box cabinet. It had like five channels because it was the old TV. And if I wanted to watch what I wanted to watch, I had to go downstairs and go into the cave and watch channel WUAB, channel 43 in Canton, Ohio, which was the only station that broadcast it. And from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, it was Star Trek, the original series, Battlestar Galactica, and Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And, and that was the block. And I'm an original series fan, first and foremost. As much as I love Enterprise, I am an original series fan. But I love this era. I love the era of the birth of the Federation and the pioneering of the Starfleet and going out there to, to seek out new life and new civilizations and to boldly go so... That's that's how it all started for me. And in college, I grew up with TNG. I watched DS9, its first run, but haven't really returned to it in earnest since. And uh, I hate to admit this, but I'm still working my way through Voyager, even though I haven't watched all of it. I've enjoyed what I've watched. And the Captain's Collective also helped me watch the high points of a lot of these series, especially for Voyager, or else I wouldn't have seen... I probably spoiled myself already because I've seen Endgame and a year of hell and some of the other really big episodes, but that got my attention. So at least that it's good that it did that at least. And then enterprise and enterprise was, it was the show that really got me reconnected with star Trek because I'll be the first one to admit it. I had a little bit of fan apathy when it came to the dense meal of DS nine Voyager and the TNG movies all in the same span of time and as great as that was there needed to be a little bit of kind of an aperitif or a a mint at the end of that meal if you will and that was enterprise because it was so different 
that it didn't even have Star Trek at the beginning of the credits. It was so different that it didn't have the standard opening orchestral thematic music, which I know caused a lot of problems with a lot of fans, but I love it. And it was just full of so much heart. It tried so hard to do the right thing. And we all know as fans of the series that there was the intent and then there was the reality. And the intent was right there. It was right on. And it was seen in a couple of great episodes. We'll get to those in a little bit later. But the reality was that the network had its shackles on the show and it never reached its full potential. And Jeff, you've listened to the show enough times to know that our epitaph for the show is the show that had so much potential, the show of what ifs. So that's that's kind of like my roundabout with how I, how I started with Star Trek and, and where I am right now. But one of the things we also wanted to talk about is where that has led us up to this point being involved with Trek FM. So, Will, you said that you recently came to Trek FM through the recommendation of a friend. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and how it was his exposure that brought you to Trek FM? Sure. So I'm giving you a shout out, Jake. Uh, Jake Bennett is actually uh, a friend of mine who's actually in another group, uh, which you're a member of now, actually, the AV Club uh, Star Trek Review Board. So it's just another website that did a lot of Star Trek reviews, and a lot of the commenters formed a group uh, on Facebook, and they have really lively, in-depth discussions. So I think he had mentioned that he listens to a podcast network called Trek FM. Uh, this was last summer, so I checked it out um, last summer, and I remember the first podcast I listened to was actually a, it was a literary Treks podcast because I was reading Star Trek books at the time, and I'm a big fan of Una McCormick and what she did with the Cardassians. So I looked up, and there was an entire podcast devoted to Una McCormick. So I'm like, this is not only is it Star Trek, it's you know literature Star Trek, but also like Cardassian literature, and it was so up my alley. And that was initially, that was it. That was the rabbit hole, right? So I, once I opened that up, I realized, you know, there's Standard Orbit, Earl Grey, or To the Journey, Warp 5, Continuing Mission, you know, Hyper Channel, all of these different unique uh, shows that have a unique perspective on it. And it just opened up this, this Pandora's box. And um, that was actually even before the Babel Conference because the Babel Conference itself is actually new as well. It only really debuted last fall it was early too. So I remember when I was starting to listening, when I started listening to the network in earnest was right around the time the Babel conference opened up in Facebook and it really had that one stop. Uh, it was a one stop clearinghouse in terms of conversation. And from there I just, you know, talked to, to you, Norm and you, Jeff and linked up with other people. And cause I was listening to it every day to work because I take the train and take the bus to work. So I really need something to, to occupy my time in my commute. And I found that a podcast length on average is the perfect time from door to door, from my door to my work in terms of listening to a show. So I remember during that summer initially, I was just burning through so many episodes. I actually went over my data limit. I had just gone in Galaxy S4 and I went through my data limit for that month because I was just just streaming it directly. I wasn't even downloading before. I was streaming uh, so many episodes. And I realized, you know, at a certain point, I felt like I needed to, to give back a little bit because I was, you know, using it so much. I was listening at home when I was doing chores or cleaning. or You know, it was such a big part of pro my, my everyday life. So I figured I needed to do a little bit in terms of helping them defray costs or helping them to continue. So that's where Patreon came about because that was around the same time that, 
that Chris was really uh, highlighting the fact that the network was supported through Patreon. So I went there and became a member. Um, and in actuality, it's the first and probably not only, but it so far has the distinction of being the first and only um, project or artistic endeavor that I actually support on a, on a monthly basis. So I think that's a pretty important milestone because I've never done this before, but the, it's been terrific in terms of getting that type of access because I can just talk to you guys. That's how I met you two and it's been and so many other people so it's been really fantastic and jeff you've you've recently just come into trek fm so how did how were you able to find the network and what are some of your favorite shows because i know with your knowledge there's probably a show that hits all of your hot buttons i know you're a big star trek online player so there's you know there's um there's a i know that we have a show for that it's deck eight i believe yeah and uh there are, in, you know, there are uh, topics of conversation there for Star Trek Online. I haven't played it in a long time, but tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Trek FM as well. You actually sent me an invite to Babel, uh, Babel Conference when it uh, started up, and I'd kind of heard a little bit about Trek FM, but I hadn't really looked into it. And then you sent me the link, and I really started to look into it. I started listening to the podcasts, and it really caught my attention. I started listening to a lot of the back podcasts off of the website, downloading them onto my phone. And now I listen to them every day on my commute to and from work. It's an hour each way. So it's great opportunity for me to listen to all this. And, uh, I've, I realize you know, I'm, I'm listening to this so much. I, you know, it, it's only fitting that I should support, uh, the effort to keep this show, you know, keep it, keep the show on the road, keep it running, keep it on the air. And, uh, you know, so I started uh, donating a little bit each month to try to help with those costs, because you know, it, um, it, a little bit self-serving also because you know it helps gives me something more interesting to listen to in the morning. Well, sure. Is there was there a particular podcast that you latched onto first, and then it, it once you started listening to the hosts or the subject matter, and when that really got your attention, you started branching out into different things? Because I know that you like all Star Trek and there isn't like one flavor that you've particularly told me that this is the best and I don't really care for this you're you're really truly a fan of the spectrum of it so was it tough for you to choose which one you wanted to listen to first did it have to do with a particular topic or did you start with Standard Orbit or did you start with Literary Treks because I know you're a big book reader how did you figure out which show you wanted to latch on to first um, I actually started listening to Warp 5 first um, oh good man good answer yeah. all right we're gonna get you back on the show <laughs> um, I, I listened to um, probably the last 10 or 15 episodes of that, and uh, then I started branching out from there, listening to Literary Treks, listening to uh, Ready Room, uh, some of the others, and I've only just recently, in the last few days, um, uh, well, few weeks really, um, I've started listening to everything now. Um, I've got the, the whole feed coming in uh, every day on my podcast, so, on the app on my phone. So every day I have a new podcast from every single one of the shows playing on my car. And the amazing thing, Jeff, is that you listen to all of it simultaneously. <laughs> I probably could. He just plugs it into his brain and just it just feeds. He just sits there and absorbs everything. It's like data on that uh, uh, on TNG when he's listening to like six different compositions simultaneously. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the end of All Good Things except every one of those ships is a podcast and that Jeff is listening to every one of those podcasts simultaneously from the beginning of time to now. 
So that's pretty impressive. Way to, I mean, that's that's cue-like listening. So I don't know. It, feel, it makes me feel kind of small, Will. Maybe we need to get him like a bigger, a bigger podcasting chamber. <laughs> One step at a time, Norm. One step at a time. I know. I, I dream big. I dream big. But that's what that's what this <laughs> network does to me. It makes me dream big. Um, actually, in in all seriousness, I came to find the network pretty um, roundabout way. I am a, a fan of uh, Christian Gossett and his comic book, The Red Star. And I came back from vacation around February 2014, February last year. And I was just kind of catching up on all the social media and who's doing what. And I always see if there's anything new coming from The Red Star because it's one of my favorite comic books. And on his Facebook page, he had an update and it said, you know, uh, co-creator, director of Axonar. And the word Axonar itself just kind of you know, spurred something in my head. I'm like, that's not the same Axanar, not the not the palm leaf that Kirk won, and it's part of his you know retinue of awards. You know, that was you know the list was you know well documented in court martial. So I looked, and it said, the Battle of Axanar, Prelude of Axanar, the history of the Four Years' War, Captain Garth of Izar. I'm like, what is this? So I got more involved with that project actually through Kickstarter, and in digesting all that information. I discovered that they were about to launch their very first official podcast, the official Axonar podcast on Trek FM. So I said, oh, this is interesting. Now I can find a way to actually keep up with what's going on with all of my donations and what's happening with this Axonar, this Prelude to Axonar project. And once I started delving deeper into Trek FM's offerings, it was a little overwhelming at first because there are so many different podcasts that tailor themselves to all the different flavors of Star Trek. You have Standard Orbit, you know, you have the which deals with the original series. You have Earl Grey, which is TNG. You have The Orb, which is DS9. Warp 5, our show that deals with Enterprise. You have Literary Treks. You have Continuing Mission. You have The Ready Room, which is our flagship show run by Christopher Jones. Again, you have all of these different shows that allow the fans to find that one entry point and become a champion for the network as a listener. Because that's the first step, becoming a listener, becoming a fan of what our hosts are talking about, whether it is this series or that series or even beyond the series, like talking about the fan films or talking about the music or talking about the books or talking about the video games. There's something for everybody here. And like you, Will, like you, Jeff, I felt compelled, kind of like those, those funding drives that they do for classical music stations or on PBS on TV, I had to find a way to make sure that I was doing my part, not just being a listener, but being someone who is so passionately active about supporting the arts, to find that way to keep this station working. Because as you know, this, the more you dig into what a station like this does, like the network of Trek FM, you know that it's run by all of us independents. None of us are paid to do this. We do this because we love to do it, and we love talking to the fans, and we love sharing our appreciation and knowledge of Star Trek. So how do we go about doing that? Well, I found out through the list of credits that are read at the end of every episode that we do it through a program called Patreon. Now, Patreon is a different than Kickstarter. Patreon is a, it's a monthly program that allows you to support in a way where it doesn't really hit you as hard as the Kickstarter upfront sum does. So because Kickstarter is you make your donation and then your donation is this and then you get debted for this amount. Sometimes that's a little off putting. So 
Will, share with us a little bit of your knowledge of Patreon, what it is, and how you felt comfortable investing in it from a fan standpoint. Well, I think the the user interface is very slick and it's very easy to use. And it's a great way for you to keep track of projects or particular um, things that an artist or uh, a group might be working on. So if we're not talking about Trek FM, we're talking about uh, a comic book artist who's making a comic book and he wants he or she wants to update you on his or her progress, then Patreon is a good way for you to keep track of. If I want to support a particular project, I can keep uh, track of you know, is he or she finishing it on time? Does she need help? Or, you know, does he or she have an additional idea? And in addition to just funding it monetarily, it also allows you to have the pulse of what's going on. So with Trek FM, applying it to that, you have a list of projects that it supports. You can see what types of projects get published, oftentimes before it becomes public in the Babel Conference or out to the general public. You get to see things that are in the matriculation phase, things that are being worked on or being discussed. And you get to sometimes have access to to perks that you wouldn't normally have as a general listener. So I think obviously what makes it work so well is having the perk levels that Trek FM, that Trek FM has. It allows you to donate however, amount, uh, however much you want to. There's no particular perk that you have locked into but there are these milestones which are nice that allows you to have these things in terms of getting greater access behind the scenes or uh, getting a credit as an associate producer I mean that's how I started in terms of being an associate producer on the orb but later literary treks and Earl Grey and then from there you know being invited to go be part of the content management system which is separate from Patreon but being a patron will allow you uh to have input in terms of what is produced in terms of content or uh, planning future shows uh, down the road. So I think being able to donate and being able to keep track of, of what Checkfam is producing is that first step towards being more involved and having a much more interactive experience as a listener, as our audience. Uh, but it all starts with you know being comfortable, like you said, Norm. So I think it's very important that Patreon says you can donate as much as $1 a month. You can change it month to month and you don't have to be locked into a certain amount. Although there are perks for Trek FM, these bench posts, you can feel free to contribute as much or as little as you want. So that flexibility is very easy for me because I can change it from, from month to month. So for someone that is more reluctant to, I think it's uh, very much an easier leap for them to, to donate using this system. Now we mentioned it in the credits on every show on Trek FM. And I'm just wondering, Jeff, when you first started listening to the network, when you heard that spot at the end and during the credit sequence, was it clear to you what this meant and that allowed you to, did it pique your curiosity and say like, you know, I'm going to check this out or did it have to kind of sink in over a couple of episodes to see, hey, you know, uh, I didn't really get it at first, but I got to find a way to support my fandom and support Trek FM, so I'm going to give this a shot. How did it first resonate with you, and does it give you the flexibility that you need in order to provide the support in the way that you want to? I've backed a lot of projects on uh, Kickstarter and other uh, crowdfunded uh, websites, uh, so I'm kind of used to the idea of crowdfunding to, to keep a project going. So for me, as soon as I heard that, I knew, oh, this is something that I can do to help keep this show on the air. Um, but I can 
easily see where for someone who's not as used to that like I am, uh, then it would take maybe a time or two to hear it and start to think that, well, maybe uh, I'll think about that. And then after a few more times, then they'll go check it out. But for me, as soon as I heard that, I, I immediately thought, you know, I, I'll, I'll go and help this out because uh, I mean, that's that's what I do for the things that I like. Um, I did the same thing with uh, Axanar as soon as I saw the first trailer for, uh, for Prelude um, well over a year ago now. And uh, I've done that with comic books on Kickstarter. I've done that with uh, um, other fan fiction books. I've done that with a bunch of different projects. So it was not an issue for me at all to just go straight to the Patreon and check out the website and see what there was. So one of the things I wanted to uh, introduce to the listeners is an actual snippet of what Patreon really is, how it got started, and what it means to Trek FM. So from their website, I was able to call together a couple of interesting pieces of information. And I think it's important for the listeners to know this because I need to know um, if I'm doing my job, making sure that I'm imparting what Patreon really means for Trek FM, but not only that, what it means to funding creative projects. This is very important because as fans, we all try and find our way to express our fandom. In some ways, some people do it in cosplay. Some people do it in trying to make their own independent films, books, artwork, music, what have you, wherever your passion takes you. But some fans just don't have that ability. They just don't have that creative gene, and they want to find some way to express their support. And one of the best ways to do it is through helping fund these projects. So Patreon, originally, it was based in San Francisco. It's a crowdfunding platform created by musician, a creative, Jack Conti, and developer Sam Yam. Now, Patreon was founded in 2013 by Jack Conti, who was looking for a way to make a living from his YouTube videos. So he created a, basically this program so that patrons, much like the, uh, the, the true definition of the word, as they used to do in Renaissance times, a patron would be able to fund an artist in order for that artist to make their work a reality, to make their creativity uh, the best possible end product for their patron. And you can set amount of you can set an amount of money for this artist. Uh, you can do it on a monthly basis. In our case for Trek FM, we created a page so that our fans could do this. They could take a look at what is comfortable for them, set a monthly minimum or maximum, change the pledge as they can see fit. If they want to give a little bit more or if they're a little bit challenged, they can dial back a little bit and do what something is comfortable for them. But we always give everyone the opportunity to support their fandom in a way that is flexible for them and makes them feel good about supporting the network. And here's a little something I want to read specifically from our page on Patreon and what Patreon means to Trek FM specifically. Like you, we love talking Trek and we love bringing you new shows each day and making them free for you to download. With 17 unique shows plus additional specialized content feeds, Trek FM fills your days and nights with fresh discussion 365 days a year. But it costs a nice stash of gold-pressed latinum to create and transmit our shows each month. So here's how you can help us keep the warp engines running and the Intermix formula properly balanced. So yeah, we're trying to advertise what we need to keep the engines running. 
but we do it in such a way where it also makes sense for our fans. So that's really important that we bring our fans and involve them and make them feel part of the family, not part of the team, part of the family, because that's who we are as fans. We connect in that very special, deep way that really not a lot of fandoms have. And I'm glad that we have this opportunity so that our fans can share their passion, if not creativity, then financially. So so I'm a huge proponent for making sure that I'm doing my part in funding the creatives and the art forms that I enjoy on a personal basis. And one of the great things about what we have just done here is that we have brought Will, a new fan and patron, Jeff, a new fan and patron, and when I say new fan to Trek FM, and myself, all together across different places to discuss and create this next part of the show, which is content created by Trek FM patrons who came together through the Patreon program on Trek FM. This is the beauty of how the system works. And as we transition into this next segment, it is a little bit of a bittersweet topic to talk about, but because we're Warp 5 and because we're the show dedicated to Enterprise, it would be remiss of us not to discuss what's happening right now in Star Trek history, and that is the end of the Star Trek era on television, i.e. the very last time that we saw Enterprise on TV. So let's talk about this a little bit. Will, what does this mean to you? What did the end of Enterprise mean to you as a fan? And how did it affect you then? And how does it still affect you now? So as I mentioned before, I actually watched parts of season four before I watched any other part of Enterprise back when I was in college. So this was 2005. So this is my freshman year of college. And I remember just hearing on the internet at the time that Riker and Troy were going to be, spoiler alert, Riker and Troy in this in the final episode, um, and that it was going to be this holiday episode. And I remember thinking, like, that's nuts. How are they going to bring that about? How are they going to bring that together? And I remember watching it, and I remember not hating it, not liking it, but not hating it. And, you know, I think another episode that we're going to do is going to talk all about these are the voyages. I don't want to get too much into it, but I remember at the time being struck by the finality of it, the very ending montage where you have the voiceover between Kirk, Picard, and Archer, the final shots of the Enterprise, the various iterations of the Enterprise. And I was struck by how striking those shots were because I think that that was the first time the Enterprise D had been redone in CG, except from Generations, I think, Jeff. Is that correct? I think it was just the model shots in Generations. Okay. So that was like the first time it was just redone in, in CG, and it looked beautiful. And and then going through Kirk era ships, uh, Kirk's, Kirk's era and, and, and the Enterprise, the original Constitution, just seeing all of it, there was a finality to, uh, finality to it. So even then when I was watching it, I understood what that meant but it only intensified after I watched Enterprise in its entirety and then having this huge amount of time that still uh, that still is going by the way in terms of not having Star Trek on TV I think there's that phrase absence makes the heart grow fonder and I think it's very apt in this situation in terms of not having Star Trek on TV I think it has really hit a lot of fans in terms of their consciousness that Trek has not been on TV, especially with the boom that we've had in terms of 
quote unquote geek centered TV, geek centered content on Netflix or Amazon Prime outside of the traditional um, distribution networks that you're seeing such a boom of such geek oriented entertainment but you have this very conspicuous absence of star trek which is arguably the one that kind of launched it all so for me the finality has only become more poignant as you know i've become a bigger fan of star trek so i think now more than ever at the 10-year mark today that i feel that you really feel the absence of star trek on any on any medium that's on television whether it's streaming or it's on a cable network or it's on a uh, you know, a regular ABC, NBC, or a, uh, a you know regular network of that of that sort that you really um, are feeling that absence. Now, Jeff, you had a really interesting story that you wanted to share about this with us. So, tell us tell us how you felt and where you were when this historical era came to a somewhat of a melancholy close. Well, I was running to catch a bus over at Fremont Street in uh, um, in Las Vegas because I was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base on the north end of Vegas. And at the experience, they were having a screening of the episode as it aired on TV. On let, the let, let me interrupt you for a second. When you say the experience, this is the Star Trek experience the Star Trek at the Hilton yeah. in Las Vegas. Okay. Yeah. And they were having a screening on the big screen in the Borg experience, uh, the Borg Ride Theater. And I missed the bus, and I was not able to get there in time, and they wouldn't let me in, so I couldn't see it on the big screen. I had to go oh. back home and watch it on my tiny little television in my dorm room on base. And so I was really upset because I'd missed the bus, and I didn't get to see it on the big screen. And then I was even more upset when I watched the episode, because not only was it the final episode, but the whole holodeck uh plot really disappointed me and we never got to see the nx01 until the final shot of the episode and the whole series is about enterprise and we never got to see the enterprise until the last few seconds now being as as involved as you are personally professionally and all the time that you've invested of yourself in star trek do you remember how you felt when you finally realized at the end of that episode that this was it because we knew that we're not getting any more I mean, that was pretty clear from the networks that this is pretty much the end of Star Trek. Nemesis was done. That was the end of the films until we got the J.J. Abrams 2009 film, which we obviously knew we weren't getting at the time. Um, do you remember what you felt as a fan when that happened? Was it a sense of just was this, this hole in kind of like your your spirit as a fan or... Did you know that you had just volumes and volumes of other series that you can always rewatch? Well, I knew we still had the books, um, and that was something, but it's just not the same. Um, not being able to see something new up on the screen, be it the TV or the, on the, uh, the theater screens. And having the books is, uh, it's just not enough sometimes. And you're still getting more parts to the story but there's just something about having it on the screen and having the actors bring it to life and seeing it um played out uh, and it's it was really hard for me for a while because i knew that it didn't look like there was going to be anything for a very long time uh, and when they finally 
announced that they were making the new film. Uh, for, uh, it was supposed to originally come out in 2008. I was really excited. And I actually managed to get into a screening to see it a week before it even came out in theaters. I mean, that's just how excited I was. And I saw it like three or four times after that. Um, but when that episode aired, I was just really depressed for a while because I didn't have anything new coming. I think I felt the same way. And it, it was different because it was just wasn't it wasn't what I wanted at the end. I know a lot of fans felt that way. And yes, Will, we're going to have that that really serious two-part episode that's going to focus on these are the voyages because it deserves that. There's a lot to talk about there. There's a lot of feeling that needs to be exercised, you know, from the hosts and from the guests that we're going to have on the show. But I think it was very unceremonious at the end. And that's not a way, it should, even if we were going to get canceled, which we did, it shouldn't have fallen so flat. The note was very dismissive. And that's not the way that I wanted to describe my last experience with Star Trek at that point. But conversely, 10 years later, so many new fans are coming to Enterprise. And I think it's because of the interest of the uh, the J.J. films and the success that a little bit of that sexiness has brought back to to Star Trek, but I think that there's a really great new appreciation now, 10 years later, because when you don't have a lot of option in front of you, you really have to make the best of what you have. And I think that's turning the fans' attention back towards looking at the episodes or the series or even some of the movies that they've never seen before and really trying to appreciate what has been left behind because when you have this smorgasbord of Star Trek in front of you, and when I say that, I always like referencing that era of DS9, Voyager, and the movies in particular, and then Enterprise. You have this, this density, this, this depth of, of work where you can just switch one channel and go to one show and switch to the channel and go to another show. You don't even have to finish the show if you're not interested. And then you take that for granted because there's so much volume out there but it's like being in front of a buffet. And now you've been starved of that luxury. And when a really even decent meal comes in front of you, you savor that for every single morsel it's worth. And you even make some of the questionable things better because that's all you have to work with. And that's not saying that the, the work is bad. That's just saying that you're really taking a different appreciation for what you have. And I think in some ways that has tempered some of the feelings of the fans over the course of the last decade because there was so much emotion when it came to drawing the line in the sand between series to series to series to series to series because my series is obviously better than yours. My series is obviously better than yours. But now as a collective fan base, we're like, you know what? Let's just get Star Trek back, period. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's it gives us a greater coalition of support. And... For me personally, even though that we haven't had Star Trek in earnest on TV for the last 10 years, the two movies I think have done well for a new fan base, but even younger fans, and I met younger fans at WonderCon, fans that are 18, 19, 25 years old, and they're going back to Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and finding and rediscovering the shows for themselves because they saw the movie. That's not necessarily a bad thing, regardless of how you feel about it. So... 
coming back to talking about Enterprise, what are some of your fondest moments of the series? And what was the one episode for you that really stood the test of time? That's something that you will always go to a fan that never watched the show and say, you know what? I want you to start watching with this particular episode in mind and go from there. For Doctor Who fans, it's Blink. It's David Tennant's season three Blink. Everyone starts with that with new Doctor Who fans and they roll forward. For you guys, what would that be? What is your fondest moment and what is your favorite episode? So that's a really good question. I think a lot of it, like you said, Norm, is you have hindsight to kind of go back and reassess a lot of, of what you've seen. And I think for me, it, it's it's one of two things. I think Star, I think Enterprise gets a bad rap in terms of from from fans that say that it's not respectful of canon, that it's not respectful of continuity, and I think that's a very overblown charge. I think there's a lot that it does do to really build its own universe, but at the same time connect to the larger milieu that it's been created in. And I think one episode or one arc that really appealed to me that added to it was the Kirshara trilogy, which we learned so much about the Vulcans from that episode, uh, from that arc, and the Babel arc, all in season four, where you where it added to continuity, it added something that we had not yet seen before in the Star Trek universe to characters that we had seen before that were familiar, but there was a new dimension to them. I think that's what resonated with fans so much in season four was that it was a callback, but they were adding value to it. They were adding something in addition to. And I think the Andorians are probably the best example of they are so fleshed out in Enterprise, and yet they are not fleshed out in so many other iterations of Star Trek, but it, it was up to Enterprise for them to really kind of gain the, the the depth and nuance and texture. But on the other hand, I also like the fact that Enterprise did some interesting things, some new things that ha- we hadn't seen before. So I actually really like Fortunate Son and Horizon for that um, for that factor because it adds something new. It adds the fact that there's a space boomer component to Enterprise. There are people out there in space that are not Starfleet, that they are just humble people, and that they kind of resent Starfleet. I think it added a really new dimension and a really new texture to the universe in which Enterprise was in. So I like the fact that they were able to introduce new aspects to it, but also at the same time um, also call back to other elements of the universe. What about you, Jeff? Well, one of the... uh episodes for me would be, you know, Andorian Incident. It does just this great job of setting up the Andorians and making them a little bit more three-dimensional, not just the uh, antagonist of the week, um, but also Demons in Terra Prime at the end. It just goes right to the heart of everything that the show sh- uh, was setting up, leading everything into the eventual formation of the Federation leading into, um, you know, the reproachment between humans and all these other species, while at the same time we're struggling to overcome our own inner demons, hence the name. Mm-hmm. And that's what Star Trek was always about, even in, you know from the very beginning. It's about, you know, we're not perfect, but we're trying to be. Now, you're a big original series fan, and... Do you think that towards the end of season four, we were trying or that the writers were trying to finally bridge that gap? Manny Koto was trying to finally put the hallmarks in 
his episodes that helped fans understand what Enterprise was supposed to be because he knew that this is it. I only have a handful of episodes to get my point across, so I have to go pretty much for broke. Do you felt that any of those points were forced, or do you think that he was going about it in a pretty evolutionary process? I think it did uh, a good job of uh, getting a lot closer to leading into the original series. A lot of uh, what we saw in some of the earlier seasons, some of it pointed more towards the next generation, and there was some uh, some negative feedback on that, and I can understand that. Um, but that season, season four, it really started leading into things like reconciling the Vulcans from the beginning of the series with the Vulcans that we would know later and giving a really good explanation for why that was the way it was without changing anything that had come before on the show. And I really, um, I really respected that uh, from a writing standpoint because that can be really hard to pull off. And I enjoyed seeing the mirror universe bringing in the defiant so you have a constitution class ship from the original show right next to an nx class ship and for the first time you see them on screen together and you can actually believe that this 1960s spaceship actually does look more sophisticated than the nx class that was made 45 years later and uh, yeah i i just i really appreciated that on the show one of the things i've always found interesting about Enterprise is that different fans latched onto very key moments because I think that in some respects, a lot of the Enterprise fans were original series fans because we were promised this, this series that were the, the, had the progenitors of all the archetypes we love in Star Trek. You had the, the first captain of the first Warp 5 ship, the first Warp ship, the first encounter with this species, the first use of this technology. And, and for me, if there was a moment that really captured that in this series, and I've mentioned this before in other shows, it would have been the episode First Flight, because for me, that was the episode that truly encapsulated the spirit of what Brandon Braga wanted to do for this series. It brought the post-World War III reestablishment of the NASA system back into humanity, and then we used that to create Starfleet, to create that look, to create the technology that makes that logistical leap from what we know now of technology to what will be on that ship later in 2151 as it launches to bring Clan back in Broken Bow. That made sense to me, but it also had a lot of respect. And it's not even really like a throwback, it's like a throw forward to what's happening in TOS, the bridge architecture and the way that it was situated. And all the smaller details going back to Command Gold as opposed to having Command Burgundy. Having the intimacy of a smaller ship and just being able to go out there and boldly go. The tenant of what is in Zephram Cochran's speech to seek out new life. Even though they didn't do it perfectly all the time, it was there. The spirit was there. And in first flight, they really showed you that pioneering spirit of just flying by, literally flying by the seat of their pants and destroying a warp ship just to be able to test the engines to push it even further. Because as, as Kirk said in one of the episodes in Star Trek, and it escapes me right now, it's like risk is our business. That's why we're aboard her. If we're not going to risk it, then we'd have no business being out here. 
we have no business trying because if we don't push it, we don't push humanity forward. And that's what I loved about that episode. But if I had one specific episode that really encapsulated the quality of acting, production, all of the characters, the way they're related to each other, it was season three's damage because it really showed you how far they were willing to take and push these characters to make sure that Archer turned and matured as a captain. He wasn't perfect in the first two seasons, and he wasn't perfect in the first half of the third season. But when he made the choice to preserve humanity and forsake a culture that he just met, that's what a captain has to be challenged with. That's what makes the stuff of captains. It's not the easy choice. It's the hardest choice you have to make and live with it. That's the choice that Cisco had to make in... I'm in sorry, the Pale Will, Moonlight? In the Pale Moonlight, thank you. That's the choice that all of the captains have to make in one way or another and still wake up in the morning and act as captain again. And that's what that episode did for me. It also showed me the absolute best performance I think that Jolene Blaylock had as DePaul in, in struggling with her, her emotions and just completely losing it in front of Archer. I've, I've watched her mature over the course of those three and a half seasons and she really turned out to be probably the the most special surprise I think out of all the cast I don't know did you guys have a a cast member that you guys kind of latched onto that way I know a lot of people weren't a fan of uh, Trip when they first start when he first came out but I know a lot of people loved him and then were kind of spoiler alert kind of cheated at the end you know that he didn't get to um enjoy the fruits of his labors unless you read the books (laughs) right right but that's for that's a well. You can get into that with Matthew rushing over the and uh, Dan Gunther over there at Literary Treks. Yeah, I, I was one of those uh, fans of Trip. I really enjoyed his character. Um, he embodied a lot of the things that uh, we enjoyed about McCoy on the original show. Some of that uh, um, just more down to earth, uh, good humor, and uh, the occasional biting comment when you needed it to the captain. That's true. I think the dynamic with enterprise was very much evident in terms of having, you know, that down to earth person that could talk to that captain in a way that no one else could. And having that Vulcan being kind of the the third person that they're all playing off of. And as we mentioned before in the show, enterprise is what could have been. And I've said it in the Babel conference today, and I'll say it again here is that, you know, I firmly believe that if Enterprise had been given seven seasons, it could, it had the potential to be the greatest Star Trek series in them all. Not saying it would have been, but it had the potential because it had all the narrative soil for it to grow. And I think from what we saw in season four, it could have really developed into the most mature and most complex of all the Star Trek storylines that we've seen. And I think a lot of it has to do with the growth of Trip and to Paul because there are moments in the series in which I found them not to be very likable, but especially in, in Terra Prime, especially in Demons, what happens with Elizabeth, what happens to their child, there is such legitimate emotion there that you can see them literally becoming different characters. And that's why I feel like Enterprise gets a bad rap because if you compare it to other series, it's very different. Other series really kick it into high gear after the third or fourth season. It becomes something that often that fans remember outside of the original early season iterations. And I think Enterprise was on that trajectory that if it had five, six, and seven, you would have seen it go to a place where 
if they were to compare it to early seasons, they'd be like, wow, it really is a different show, but for the better because X, Y, and Z have changed. There is some growth. And I love the fact that in season four, although briefly, you know, Trip went to the Columbia, that they kind of broke up the band for like one episode, but I thought it was really cool because it was beginning to show you that this is a bigger universe, that I love the fact that there was an NXO too. I love Erica Hernandez. I think that if there's a five, six, or seven, she would have played a much bigger role, and they're starting to make a bigger universe. And I think um, I would be remiss if I didn't include Shran as a character that I really resonated with. Oh, absolutely, yeah. How can you forget Shran, right? And and he's he's such a perfect foil to Starfleet, but at 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 the same time, he's so important to what the Federation is going to be because. You could just see the plot lines building right there in five, six, and seven. That Shran is probably going to be the linchpin of how this thing, how this coalition actually comes together, is the relationship between Archer and Shran. Everything grows beyond that, right? So, yeah, I've said in the group before, you know, it really was going on that trajectory. And of course, you can only speculate, but I think it was on the cusp of something very special. One of the last things I wanted to talk about before we um, wrap up the show, I was looking at a couple of online fan polls about five different ones and in their top 10 they had a variety and range of of uh, their opinions on what the top episodes are but three of them actually were pretty across the board the standard for for all of these five different sites and the three episodes that they felt were the top three enterprise uh, shows uh, according to their opinions were similitude Demons in Terra Prime because that's pretty much essentially like one story. And Carbon Creek. So I'm just going to do the little nostalgia game here. And how did you guys feel about Similitude? Do you, I mean, do you feel that, first of all, do you feel that these, these three particular episodes are justified as being in the top 10 of all time Enterprise episodes? And if you had to pick one of them, being the top episode for you, which one of those three episodes would it be? By the way, the fourth runner-up, if you want to toss this in there, it would be In a Mirror Darkly. So let's say four episodes. Jeff, what do you think? I, I know that you're a fan of Demons and Terror Prime, so that might be a loaded question. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely on there. Um, in a Mirror Darkly would be a very close second place for me. Now, is that just because it, it not only did it show off the amazing graphics of a remastered high definition constitution class ship, the defiant, but also just the sheer amount of reverence that it took to be able to replicate pretty on screen accurate, all of the trimmings and trappings that went into Matt Jeffrey's 1966 to 1966, 1969 designs. Well, on top of all that, there's also just the level of detail on even little things like the biographies that popped up on screen for a couple of seconds for Archer and Hoshi. Um, they went into their future histories and established things like Archer becoming the Federation president, Hoshi dying on, uh, on Tarsus Four at uh, the hands of Kodos. Um, right. Little things like that that, uh, you know, blink and you'll miss it, but on the Blu-ray, you can pause it, zoom in, and it's just amazing levels of detail and little things like that that just really impressed me. So Hoshi technically could have been in the same colony where Finnegan's family was on Tarsus Four, right? When mm-hmm. Colas, when we're we're referencing for all the fans out there, we're referencing season one, uh, the original series, of Conscience of the King, 
uh, which is a fantastic episode. You have to watch it, and then you'll understand what we're talking about. But uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, little things like that, I think it's because of M- Manny Cotto's magic bag of hindsight that those details are important when you're introducing the original series in earnest into something like Enterprise or when they did Trials and Tribulations and making sure those details, with the exception of Worf explaining away the Klingon forehead, they did a great job of of tying together Deep Space Nine and the original series. So uh, what about you, Will? What do you think in that list um, resonates highest with you? Before I answer that question, I actually just want to ask my own question is, is it am I wrong to to assume that when they remastered the Defiant in a mirror darkly and how they how well they did it was that the genesis pun intended I guess or nice. was that the how the idea started to remaster TOS down the road was the idea like wow this looks really good remastered can we actually go back and restore TOS because I think I heard that somewhere I just want to make sure I get confirmation on that. Jeff, before you jump into that, I think I think that started all the way back when they remastered the Enterprise for Trials and Tribulations and remastering K9 and some of those sequences. Is that oh, so? Yeah. I know on uh, DS9 they actually built new models for that episode because they hadn't quite switched over everything to uh, computer graphics at that point. Right. And when they did uh, the Enterprise episode, that's when you were starting to get more and more high def, um, and they were gearing towards more people getting high def TVs. And they remastered uh, the original series because to keep it in syndication on high def TVs, you need to have a high def picture. Right, and that rolled into what they were doing with the uh, the next generation also. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, fingers crossed. I'm not sure what the behind the scenes are about it, but I would love to see DS9 treated the same way. I know I the, the love Niners to would. See that. You know that's a great question, Will, and and it's neat um, to to see how they have to take these lengths that CBS and Paramount have to take these lengths and have done. I mean, we'll, I'll give credit where credit is due when it came to making sure Star Trek on CBS online streaming was high definition for new fans, this new generation of fans that's watching the content this way to be able to stream that quality in that in that manner, and they needed to get everything upscaled or into 1080 so that they could take advantage of all of these new fangled monitors and all these ways to get it online. That's my trip impression. It's okay. Okay. Keep so, your shirt but, on, Norm. But I'm not going to let you off the hook. So, you know, keep your shirt on, Norm. I'm going to let you off the hook. So I need to know in that list of episodes, Will, what resonated highest with you? Well, that's a tough one. I think it, they definitely all belong in the, in the top ten. I think. Uh, I also need to know these things because we have to, we have to make sure that we're ready for that challenge, the, you know the uh, the hosts team challenge. Oh, so. the, oh, we're actually going to do bridge mates, right? Yeah, uh, we were challenged. Yeah, yeah. we're going to have to do that. <laughs> um, so I definitely do think that those three episodes definitely belong in the top ten. Definitely not within the outside the realm of possibility. Out of those three, I would probably say similitude is probably the one if I had to choose to show someone because I think it's it's self-contained enough. Although it's in the Zindi arc, it's still self-contained enough there where someone could watch and understand there's a surprising amount of heart in this and a surprising amount of emotion in this episode. I think it's no coincidence it's I think it's no coincidence that Manny Cotto wrote this episode and that I think that on the strength of how this episode was received, he was given um, the showrunner credit from season four onward. But I like Carbon Creek a lot. I think it's a very fun alternate universe take on um, early first contact. And of course, Terra Prine and Demons 
is great because of kind of all the storylines it's really tying in all the everything that's kind of it is summarizing and kind of bringing to a head um there are other obviously uh, my personal favorites aren't among those three but i think the three that you mentioned certainly i can definitely understand why they're popular as well as in a mirror darkly i think personally i don't think in a mirror darkly is my personal enterprise uh, uh, favorite episode because it's more of a TOS or more of an alternate version episode, alternate uh, universe episode. It's not necessarily Enterprise for me, but it's such a great episode uh, on its own merits as this kind of this fun alternate romp. But um, of all those four, I could definitely understand why it would resonate so much with fans. Well, I'll give you the opportunity. Then um, I, I've made my favorite one known, and Jeff has his favorite one known. What is your favorite episode of all time in Enterprise? Mine. Uh, can I can I do an arc as opposed to just one episode, or just limiting to one episode, Norm? No, because Demons and Terror Prime is its own kind of mini arc. So obviously, um, it's going to be in season four. Can I guess? Can I see if I can if I can do the newlywed ooh, game with you? Yes, yeah, go guess. I'm going to throw the uh, the Babel arc. That's correct. Yes, it is. It is my favorite one. Although Kirshar is a very it's close, very close second. But I even like the affliction and divergence storyline too. I mean, I, not everyone is a big fan of the, the forehead ridges thing, but I actually think it's a terrific two-part episode. I think Flocks just gets great character development. You know, Erica Hernandez and XO2 gets great moments. I just think that two-part is also fantastic. I know how much you love Shran, and I know I know how much you love the birth of the Federation and seeing the four main races in the conference room represented in that one screenshot where you have... You know, Tapal is in the back, but then you have the Tellarite ambassador and Shran shaking hands and Archer kind of reaching out between the two. You literally have the human bridge in in his outstretched arms bridging these two volatile races together with the Vulcans kind of like observing from afar. I don't think there could be like a perfect, a more perfect illustration of what the beginning of the Federation is in, in that one shot. And that's what I loved about about that particular episode, that was and fantastic. The, and the great thing about that arc is the third, the third, the denouement of that arc, the third episode, the Enar, goes on this tangent, but it's such a worthwhile tangent because they introduce the Enar, but they do it in such a way where you almost it, it's so good unto itself, you forget that it's it's a bookend to the first two episodes, and you learn so much about this completely new subspecies, and you learn so much about Shran. You're like wow, I can't believe in this arc they kind of went on this tangent that totally paid off, but it was very much uh, a new branch that they went off on. So I think that's for me is is my is my number one. So in our final thoughts here, um, Jeff, I want to ask you one last question. If we were able to get to further seasons of Enterprise, and, and I'm going to ask this to you specifically because Will and I have already made our, our thoughts and our feelings known. For the fans out there, where would you have liked to have seen five, six, seven, if we could have gotten an eight, but five, six, and seven definitely because all the other series, with the exception of the original series, got seven seasons. Where would you have liked those three seasons to have taken Enterprise? Well, I would have liked to have seen uh, at least some involvement with the Romulan War because that was coming up in the next couple of years um, in the timeline. Um, more involvement with um, the Andorians and some more development on the Tellarites, because we were really starting to get some interesting things with the Tellarites in Season 4. But uh, then, unfortunately, the show got cut, cut short, and we couldn't see more. Now, do you think that would have been more of an issue trying to explain away the fact that 
when Spock saw when we saw enter, um, Romulans in Balance of Terror in the original series, and then there was the issue with seeing the Romulans here in Enterprise and knowing who they were. Is that a retcon situation, or is that something that could have been explained away? I know that you're pretty well steeped in Romulan War history, so how would you have introduced that further on into the series that made sense with bridging Enterprise to the original series, specifically about introducing visually the Romulans? Well, I like how they did it in Season 4, where we got to see the Romulans as viewers, but the characters never got to see them. And maybe something happened where one or two of them did, but for whatever reason they get sworn to secrecy. And it's all classified and forgotten about, and so by the time Kirk and Spock run into the Romulans a hundred years later, nobody in the general public knows about the connection. But maybe somewhere in the higher echelons, it's a secret that's kept that they don't want getting out because they don't want to cause a problem. Because at this stage, that would probably completely destabilize this little alliance they're trying to build if they say that there is this link between the Vulcans and the Romulans. There was that small detail, though, about the cloaking technology they were discovered in the minefield when that mine attached itself to the hull of the Enterprise. And there was something about, there was a discrepancy in the fan forms about the cloaking technology seen so early and identified by Starfleet versus cloaking technology that Spock said, we've never seen this type of technology before. How do you think that they explain that away in seasons five, six, and seven? Because the the Romulan drone obviously used cloaking technology, and it also used that the um, the sensor array to be able to create the holograms of so many different ships to, to to fool the sensors of of the coalition ships. So there had to have been a plan, I think, that Manny Cotto had for five, six, and seven to make sure that we're not convoluting all of these different tried and true trademarks of Romulan technology? Uh, I think that uh, it could have been explained. It's just been a, been a little difficult, but not impossible. Um, maybe something just as simple as uh, saying that uh, you know this cloaking technology that they've had all along was really just the using some kind of a holographic technology to make it appear like it's not there, but you can still detect it on the sensors if you look in the right wavelength. Um, but the cloaking device that they used 100 years later is a true cloaking device that actually bends the light and electromagnetic waves around them and makes it completely invisible. So it could have been something as easily explained away and something fun to learn as, as we all did in Enterprise when T'Pol called an M-class planet a Manshara-class planet. And that kind of blew my mind. I'm like, so that's what that means. Yeah. And we've gotten a little bit more of that. And to to put a, a you know to put a, a final point on all of this that's that's what enterprise means to us the three of us sitting here it it's always the exploration of the what if possibility if we got further episodes and i might actually write this somewhere in the show notes will we're going to probably i'm going to have to create like a paragraph of this is the show of what ifs the show of possibilities the show that if we got 5 6 and 7 this is the stuff that true Star Trek dreams are made of. <laughs> and drop the mic, right? That was very poetic. I'm going to actually put that in the notes. That was poetic. So, so in the next couple shows, I'm going to work on that. And, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to put it in front of a couple focus groups and see what happens. Uh, right. Yeah. That's so good. thanks a lot, guys. I mean, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, Will. And thanks, Jeff, so much for being part of this show. I had a lot of fun with you guys. And I know how much you love the show. And I appreciate everything that you were able to bring 
and talk to the fans about, especially about Patreon and how you guys came on and how you guys got involved. And I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, what, what else we can do for our fans, how else we can promote the network, and just keep this this warp engine humming along at warp five the way that trip so expertly does. So thanks guys. Thanks for being on with me for this show. It's been a lot of fun talking about how we've all come together on Trek FM as fans of star Trek and especially as patrons of the network on patreon.com. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you, you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And I think it was a very anticlimactic thing for a lot of people because they were expecting me to to do, you know, my raw and ranting thing. But instead, I just was like, oh, that's depressing. Okay, bye. Earl Grey. They've now shifted into the Biff-controlled 1985. Who got a hold of the Almanac in order to turn yesterday's Enterprise? The Enterprise C is the DeLorean in this scenario. The Orb. I'd like to see the Borg assimilate Ferenginar, and then they would become bankers. You know, I could see... Oh my gosh, I could see drones. Yeah, yeah. The, the world's strictest bank ever. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into you. Yes. <laughs> to the journey. I, I, I kind of want something with a little bit more teeth. For some okay. reason, like like starting a garden just doesn't scream mirror universe to me. <laughs> starting a garden doesn't have teeth. <laughs> the ready room. I hate to put it this way, but maybe in, in some strange twisted logical sense if archer just kind of flew on by and didn't help the colonists the enterprise d would have never crash landed on viridian so it's not troy's fault it's captain archer's fault literary tricks this is this is something that doesn't get done a lot in books because i don't think the time period's supposed to be that long Mm -hmm. but what did you end up thinking about having a story take place before where no man's gone before well i thought personally that it was really cool the 602 club my two favorite scenes in the film are cap saying language (laughs) and then the rest of what the jokes they go with that and then cap moving the hammer just enough then thor's face when he can't pick it up is priceless And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you're an Apple user, please hit that subscribe button. That helps us out tremendously because it makes it easier for other listeners and other fans to find the show as they search all of their podcasts on iTunes for Trek FM. And if you like what you hear on Warp 5 or on any of the Trek FM shows, please feel free and leave us a star rating and a review. We like five-star ratings, and we know that you like giving them to us. So that will help us out greatly, increase our visibility for new listeners as they're searching through their podcasts for podcasts on Trek FM. And if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find all of our shows, not just Warp 5, but all the shows on Trek FM, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website, and grab the RSS link there as well. Another way you can help all of our shows come to you each week 
is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. Now, we've discussed the Patreon system at length, and we like talking about it in this segment of the show. But again, if you like what you're listening to, and you know that all of the material that we're bringing to you on a weekly and monthly basis, this is all done by passionate fans that are passionate to give this content to you. And we do it because we love doing it. But it also helps if we can get a little bit of a financial kick to help support our servers and support our upgrading all of our electronics and just keeping the Warp 5 engine, as I like calling it, humming smoothly so that we don't have to call Trip in here to make sure that the plasma injectors are aligned and clean. So please do what you can to support the network. We are very flexible on Patreon. You can take a look at all of our contribution levels on patreon.com slash trekfm. And if there's a goal or a milestone contribution that fits along with what you'd like to donate, please take a look at that. We have great perks there for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats in our content development team, and more. Exclusive content is something that's really interesting because as that donor level, you can hear things on Trek FM that haven't been published or are going to be published earlier than um, broadcast on the network. Content development means that you can work with one of us Will, our content development manager here on Trek FM, or even talk to us on the Babel conference and see the content that you want to have produced and created for you, our listeners, uh, in that way. So stay involved and see if that patron level works for you. We really appreciate any support that you can give us and hope you'll join our team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. One of the shout outs I love giving to you on this show is to Floyd Dorsey because Floyd is an associate producer for this show, and he did so by being a patron on patreon.com and choosing that level of donation support. So thanks, Floyd, for everything that you do for the show. Thanks for your donation contribution on patreon.com. And you can find Floyd also on the Babel Conference, Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners page. Now, if you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can do so in a variety of different ways. You can go to trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voicemail or a subspace message as you prefer. You can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM, and as I mentioned earlier, the Babel Conference. Now, the Babel Conference is our Facebook listeners page. It is invitation only, so please type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, in the search field in Facebook, or go to our website at TrekFM and click Discussion on the menu bar. If you're interested in joining our listeners group, please let us know when we can make that happen for you. Now, I just want to thank Jeff again for being on the show, and it was, it was a real treat to have him here. I've been trying to get and work out our schedules over all this time, so I'd like to give Jeff a moment to tell you how you can contact him and learn a little bit more about his expertise with Trekopedia and also learn a little bit about a comic book that he works on called The Protectorate, and how you can find him all over the subspace interwebs. Well, I'm on Facebook. I post on the, the Babel Conference all the time. Um, I'm also on the Axanar fan group, as well as uh, the fleets of Axanar for uh, Star Trek Online. Um, I play Star Trek Online probably three or four days a week. I'm at jharlan, H-A-R-L-A-N, 1977 on the game. Um, I'm also on Twitter, uh, at Harlander, my Star Trek site, Trekopedia, it's trekopedia.com, uh, and my comic book is The Protectorate, 
It's also on Facebook. Uh, just search for Bandwidth Comics or BandwidthComics.com. Now, Jeff, is there a specific server that people have to uh, find you on in Star Trek Online, or is it just one large server now? Uh, Star Trek Online just has one large server. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, we look forward to having you back soon. Yeah, I look forward to Now, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor for this show, who helps us bring Warp 5 and all of our shows to you here each week on Trek FM. And our sponsor this week is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting Warp 5 and the Trek FM network. And don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an 8-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS Enterprise Orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space and you can help make that happen. Visit enterpriseinspace.org to find out more and to get your seat on the mission. Now, Will, it's up. Uh, it's your time to let everyone know how to contact you as content coordinator manager uh, for Trek FM, and how can our fans discuss with you the opportunity to create some of the content that we talk about here in Warp Five or other shows on the network. Sure. So you can always find me in the Bibble Conference. I'm always posting. You can also find me at, uh, on Twitter at, at will underscore win, spelled N G U Y E N. And like Norm mentioned, I'm the content manager for the network. And so if you have any ideas on what we want to talk about or want to talk about what things, things that we've talked about in the past, feel free to drop me a line. Um, if you become a patron at a certain, uh, I think at a certain threshold, you can get access to the content management uh, group where we have a lot of ideas in terms of future uh, show topics or um, cross uh, thematics issues that we can talk about between shows. So um, feel free to drop me a line if you have more questions about that or if you have any, or if you have any feedback on the shows that we've had, feel free to uh, let me know. Thanks, Will. And again, thanks for all the uh, input that you had tonight and Round of applause, everyone. I'm don't, not sure if, you, if you've if you noticed this on the notes on the Babel Conference or if you listened to the last podcast, but Will has been uh, recently promoted to co-host of the show, and uh, I can't thank him enough for all the contribution that he's had uh, with me ever since I started back in uh, Christmas, around Christmas time, um, 2014. So uh, he's been a huge help to me, and I can't do the show really without him. He's uh, He is my number one, in a way. So. Oh, I tip, my, I tip my non-existent hat to you. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network on Warp 5 or on the Babel Conference, our Facebook dedicated listeners page. You can also find me on Twitter at Norman Lau, that's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And I'm also a proud supporter of Alec Peters and the Axonar Project, and you can find me on the dedicated Axonar fan group page on Facebook. And lastly, I am a proud supporter of Trek FM through Patreon.com, and I am an associate producer here on the network for four shows, Warp 5, The Orb, the 602 Club, and Axonar, the official Axonar podcast. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here in the conference room for another episode of Warp 5. Warp 5.